Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for remaining faithful and by our side no matter where we are, what season we're walking through, if it's a season that we're away or close to you, thank you for sticking by our side. Be with us today and Alice as he preaches. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, Marissa and Al. Uh, God's already spoke to me through those great songs, so thank you for picking those and playing those, and uh, I needed reminded of those things. So the question before us today is, why do people do good things? Not bad things, but why do they actually do good things? And you might be like, seriously, Alex? It's so rare for somebody to do something good. I don't care why they do it. Just that they do it is like such a rare occurrence. I'm not gonna microanalyze why they did it. Darby was in Target at Plymouth meeting, and she's like, all, it was all backed up, and there was one guy up front, and the, all the shoppers were yelling at him. The other staff were coming by and be like, you need to get this line down. And he's like, I'm one guy up here. And so when Darby got up there, she just told him, she's like, thank you. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I appreciate you. And Darby's like, it was like the guy was going to break down. Like, this was the first compliment he's ever got. Um, Darby's like, that's probably the first time he's been complimented all day. I'm like, it's probably been all year. Like... I don't know if you've noticed after the pandemic, it feels like we're in short supply of people being kind, of people doing good, of people like giving a little bit to somebody else. Um, and you might be like, so why are we gonna debate why people do good? If it's so rare, especially right now, why are we even debating it? Well, it's an important area of debate for psychologists. Evolutionary psychology says humans cannot do anything truly altruistic, something purely good. According to modern neo-Darwinian neo views, humans are basically selfish, and they argue that we are only really carriers of thousands of genes whose only aim is to survive and replicate themselves. Modern psychology, uh, psychologists debate stories about people doing good and discuss what the selfish motivation might be behind it. Psychology today, I love to go and read and hear about what's going on and what psychologists are thinking about and talking about and what new research in neuroscience might be telling us about what it means to be human. And there's all these debates on there like, okay, when this person did this good thing, why were they really doing it? Like, what was their real motivation for doing it? And um, they go on and on trying to figure out the why. Why do people do good things? Uh, I was playing Fortnite with Al and his two sons, Keen and Clayton, and um, we were playing, and Al said to me, he goes, I like playing with you, Alex, because you're really nice. You're a good teammate. You make sure we all have shields. You make sure we all have good weapons. You make sure if one of us goes down, you'll rush back into danger in order to revive us. And I really liked the praise. It made me feel really good. And honestly, I probably just look good because he's usually playing with you know, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, and, you know, 8-year-olds. But I have a selfish motivation for why I act like that in Fortnite. Like, I love that you think I'm such a good team player and I'm such a nice guy. It made me feel really good that you said that. But I know if my team all has lots of good health and lots of good weapons and they're all alive at the end of the match, we're likely to win. And I like to win. Like... <laughs> It affirms me to win. And there may be a little bit mixed in there of I like people to think good of me and to like me. And so I'm not playing Fortnite like that to be good. I'm doing it to win. I have a selfish motivation. And sometimes at the heart of our good deeds, the things that people actually praise us for, we actually have a selfish 
um, a selfish desire or drive behind it. Sometimes psychology is right. Evolutionary psychologists argue that when it looks like people are doing something good, they're actually simply doing good in order to get something selfishly for themselves. They argue that people do good to look more appealing to potential mates or to gain respect and money and power in society or simply to feel better about themselves. But sometimes there are stories that are so good it throws their Darwinian explanations for a loop. And I read through all these stories that um, psychologists struggle to try to understand what the selfish desire could be behind it. And sometimes I think there's some that there's just not. I think humans are capable of occasional incredible acts of good. Literally this week in Lafayette, Indiana, Nicholas Bostick, a pizza delivery man, was out delivering pizzas at midnight, saw a house on fire, and rushed in. We have a little clip of him rescuing the last kid out of five kids he saved from this burning house. This is a policeman's body cam. He's gonna start, I know it's hard to see here with the bright light, but he starts running out here. He jumped out of a second floor window. And this is the six year old here, the youngest child that he rescued. Hey, we gotta get away from the house, okay? Walk across the street with me. Let's get him away from the house. Hey, sit on the grass for me, okay? Hey, where are you hurt? Arm? So his arms were all cut up from jumping through the glass. He had also inhaled a lot of smoke and had spent some time in the hospital. He's out of the hospital now. He's back home. Um, but he ended up saving these five children. Um, it, I cut the video off, but as it goes on, in between oxygen breaths, he's just saying, is that baby okay? Is the little baby okay? And they're like, yeah, you did good, man. You did good. So what leads somebody driving by to see a burning house and not just call 911, but to break down their back door and go in and get all the kids who were in there out? To rush in and suffer danger to himself. Um, if we go to the next slide, Darby watched this documentary yesterday, and I was like, I'm going to put this in my sermon. This fits so perfectly. Jose Andres owns 30 restaurants. He's a world-renowned chef. And um, during the earthquake in Puerto Rico, he was like, I need to go there and feed people. And so he goes down there and starts setting up kitchens and eventually starts a nonprofit called World Central Kitchen. Um, go online. I've never heard of them. They're literally feeding people in disasters all over the world. It, initially in Puerto Rico, though, in this documentary they were talking about, he gets there and he's putting out his own money to feed people and set up these kitchens. And he's literally set, spending like $70,000 a week buying food and giving it out to people. And so he starts reaching out to these government organizations and he's like, I need help, I can't do this. I've maxed out all my credit cards, I've maxed out all my line of credit. I, I need to keep feeding people, people are hungry. And he's on the phone with like FEMA and the Red Cross and stuff. And they're like, you're just doing this to get rich, aren't you? And he's like, he's literally sitting where it's all been wiped out by earthquakes and he's feeding like tens of thousands of people every day. And they're like, we think you're just in this for the money. He's like, I'm taking zero dollars from this. I've maxed out all my own money. Like, if I buy something down here, I buy it on my own account. Like, I get nothing from this. These are hungry people. They're like, well, why would you do it if you're not getting rich? He's like, because people are hungry. And it's like their brains can't even process. They're like, there's no reason that a human would do this unless somehow you were financially benefiting from it. 
When people love people without strings attached, without ulterior motives, it surprises the world. The church, the disciples of Jesus, students of how Jesus lived and loved, are designed to surprise the world with acts of good without ulterior motives or selfish motivations. But unfortunately, the American church has fallen in love with our ROIs, returns on investment, a business model of church. We have a Christianity that does good in order to get something from people. We no longer surprise the world. We've made the world cynical because they realize that when we do something good, we want something from them. We want their money or their time. We want their attendance or their allegiance or sometimes their silence. Churches spend a disproportionate amount of time talking about the wrong things people do. Growing up in church, that's all I heard about, right? Like, stop doing this and this and this and this and we need to talk about that but rarely is attention given to the right things that we do for the wrong reasons and that's why i think Jesus' next teaching in the sermon on the mount what we're going to look at today is so important to us and our culture and our world and especially our church today matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 1 be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with a trumpet, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The first thing Jesus says is, be careful, be cautious, be on guard. He knows that this will be a temptation for his kingdom people to do the right things for the wrong reasons. This will be a trap that they will easily stumble into. Uh, when I mop the floors here at the Mainline Art Center, I put up these yellow caution signs. You know, they look like a little tent you set up. Um, because I've seen how easily people can get moving too fast and not realize that the floor is wet and slip and fall. When people here repeatedly touch something hot, like one of the kilns downstairs or one of the ovens, I put up a caution hot surface, do not touch sign. When people repeatedly trip over something, I put up a, a caution bump. You might have noticed I painted some of the curbs out here on the sidewalk in yellow. Why? Because people kept tripping over them. It was a common trip hazard. Jesus is saying here, we need to be cautious because this is a common human mistake motivations matter and we need to examine ourselves and we need to consider whether we are doing what we are doing for human applause or for the good of other humans are we actually becoming like jesus or are we masquerading like jesus to get the approval of people and notice what jesus says here in verse one he says um when you do good deeds jesus disagrees with evolutionary psychology that we are only animals enslaved to our desires and our drive to replicate our gene pool. Yes, people are often selfish and their best deeds are often overshadowed by bad motivations. There are dramatic displays of the depth of our depravity. I was hanging out with Charles who works at a, a prison last night and he was talking to me about some of the prisoners in the prison and it's just the stories of why they were placed there. And I'm like, humanity is capable of horrible acts of depravity 
Um, I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to say that's not true. But there are also moments when our divine nobility shines through, when humans reflect the image of their creator. According to Jewish and Christian traditions, we are sinners, yes. We wrestle with selfish, destructive desires. Um, but we also are made in the image of God. And though they use different language, evolutionary psychologists actually agree with the Apostle Paul that humanity has a problem. We're not basically good. We're basically selfish. But the difference between modern psychology and Christianity is that we also believe that humans are made in the image of God and are capable of incredible acts of selflessness and sacrifice. They can do good without ulterior motives. They can become good. They can become like when we become students of Jesus, when we come to him and learn a new way of being human from him, he promises to empower us with his spirit, to give us a new supernatural strength to change from the inside out. That doesn't mean our old nature goes away, but it means we start on a journey to become a person of peace and an agent of love, just like Jesus was. In Galatians 5:17, the Apostle Paul says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh, and they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Do you feel this inside of yourself? This tug of war between you're like, I know I shouldn't do that, but man, I want to do it. And like, I know I should do that, and I just do not want to do that. You know, whether it's going to the gym or eating healthy, or whether it's something more spiritual, something moralistic it's something inside of us is this, there's this war between the flesh and the spirit evolutionary psychologists call it our lizard brain the animalistic selfish part of our dna that just wants what's best for me regardless of who it hurts the writers of the new testament call it our flesh regardless of what you call it only jesus offers a solution and this is his solution come apprentice under me live out my teachings and i will make you a new humanity i will empower you with my spirit i will make you agents of my coming kingdom now if you've been following along with us in the sermon on the mount you'll likely have a dilemma here because what does jesus say in matthew 6 be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them but does anybody remember what he said in matthew chapter 5 verse 14 through 16 he says you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In chapter 6, he says, be careful. Don't show your good deeds in front of people to be noticed by them. But in chapter 5, he said, that's exactly what you need to do. So is he contradicting himself? No? What do you think? No? Got a couple of, Why? Why is he not contradicting himself? He's speaking about motivation. Good job, Darth. It's like you heard me preparing for this message. Um, he makes it clear here in verse 6, or in uh, chapter 5, that we are to shine our light. In chapter 6, he's talking about be careful not to shine your light or practice your righteousness, not to do good just to be seen by people. Our motivation matters. He's not contradicting himself. He's telling us to do good deeds. Our faith should produce good deeds. As James, the brother of Jesus, said in James 2, 14 through 16, What does it profit, my brothers and sisters, if someone says they have faith but they do not have works? Can faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, I hope you get warm and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it help? Faith without good works is dead. Our faith should compel us to act altruistically towards our neighbors, communities, and cities. If it doesn't, we cannot claim to be living like Jesus, who laid down his life for the good of the world. If it doesn't compel us to do good, our faith is false, our faith is fake, our faith is dead. Jesus is warning us to do good things, but not to do them for the wrong reasons, to check our motivations. Much of the good that the American church has done has been to gather more people in buildings, take more of their money, and achieve more control over society. Our motivations should have been love, but instead our bad motivations revealed to our culture that our faith was dead. Our motivation has not been to help people. Uh, The words of Chef Jose from World Central Kitchen, this is what he said, I thought it was so good in the documentary. Charity seems like it's about the redemption of the giver when charity should be about the liberation of the receiver. So often we make what we do for others about us instead of about them and what they really need. How often do we as churches forget this? How often do we do things because it might benefit us somehow instead of remembering that we exist for the benefit of others? To Jesus, our motivation matters because he isn't interested in just what we are doing. He is deeply passionate about who we are becoming. There are times that I stand up to share God's word with you, and I think, I want to be acknowledged as a great speaker. I want people to affirm me as a deep thinker. I want people to say, well done, and make me feel good about myself. I don't do it always for your good or God's glory. I should, but I'm just being honest with you. There's sometimes I don't, there's sometimes I stand up and I'm like, man, they're really going to like this one. They're really going to make me feel good about it. It is easy, so easy, to subtly dismiss the selfish reasons that we do good, to push them to the back of our minds and to focus on the results. The why always matters, sometimes way more even than the what. Jesus calls those who practice religious piety for attention or affirmation hypocrites. Now, most scholars don't think that the Pharisees that Jesus is referencing here actually blew trumpets. But most scholars do believe that they made sure that they always had an audience when they were doing something good so they could be noticed and praised for it. So that other people would think that they were a little bit spiritually less than the Pharisees and the Pharisees were somehow above or beyond or better than them. The term hypocrite comes from Greek. The Greek open-air theaters, in fact, is where the term first originated. Characters in Greek dramas would wear masks on stage And you've probably seen these in reference to the theater, and you're like, what's with the creepy play masks? You know, it comes from Greek theaters, where people would put on a mask so the audience would know what emotion they were trying to uh, convey. What Jesus is saying is, some of us are hypocrites. We're masquerading as being him, but we're not actually becoming like him. Jesus doesn't want people who pretend to live and love like he does. That that will never change the world. He wants people who have begun to love people like he has, who want to serve and sacrifice for people just like he did, not for recognition, not for acknowledgement, but because they have been so changed by his love, they now radiate his love to others. 
Notice finally what Jesus says here. Be careful with the motivation behind your good deeds because if you're not, you forfeit blessings that God wants to give. Jesus said there is a reward for doing good, but many times we miss the blessing of God because we're chasing the applause of people. If you chase the applause of people, no crowd will ever be big enough, no likes will ever be enough, no success will ever satisfy the empty ache in your soul. You and I were designed to serve and please God, and people make cruel gods who never satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Kerry Newhoff has a leadership podcast. He started it a few years ago, and it's had millions of downloads. He's interviewed some of the brightest thinkers, both in the church world and in the secular world. And so this success has led him to writing books and going on speaking engagements around the world. And one time in an interview where he was being interviewed, someone asked him, what question do you receive most as you go around and speak? And he said, this is the number one question pastors come up to me and ask. How do I get a big platform like you? He's like, they don't ask me, like, how to be a better leader, how to have more character, how to do it. They all ask, the majority of them ask, how can I have a big platform like you? Could the problem with America not be our culture or our government? Could it be that our churches are filled with pastors and people who want to be more like celebrities instead of more like Christ? Could the biggest problem in the church be that our motivations are bad, that we're doing a lot of right things, but we're doing them for a lot of the wrong reasons. Everyone in our culture wants a spotlight, but Jesus invites us to be kingdom rebels, to take a different path, to seek the shadows, not the stage. And that's where we will hear God's applaud, applause the loudest. Jesus says, when you do something and no one notices, God sits up and pay attention. That's essentially what he says here at the end. He says, when you give, keep it secret. And what you do in secret, God will see and reward you. The most important things in life are the things that don't make it onto Instagram, that are never going to be in the newspaper, or the things that people will ever clap for. The most important moments in life are the conversations that no one sees, the sacrifices that no one hears about, the acts of love that seem so ordinary, they are almost nearly forgotten. The quiet moments in obscurity when we reflect a divine love into a broken world are the most powerful moments in human history. Not the thing that people notice and praise and clap for. You are quietly shaping and changing the course and direction of the world when you reflect divine love quietly unseen. When you serve and sacrifice and you're like, nobody sees that. Nobody notices that. God sees. Everyone may miss it, but God sees what people don't. He's not blind. He's not ignoring you. When you faithfully do good and no one seems to notice, God always sees you. He knows your sacrifices. He hasn't abandoned you. Do you want to get God's attention? Do small things without praise and do them faithfully. Do small things with great love, regardless of whether or not people notice or applaud or congratulate you. The bigger the audience, the easier it is to do things for the wrong reasons. But even with a handful of people, there's always a temptation in the human heart to do things for the wrong reasons, for selfish reasons, to have ulterior motives, to not do them for people's good and God's glory. We must become a people that long for God to give us a standing ovation at the end of time 
instead of a people who long for 30 seconds of fame here and now. Check your motivations. That's what I've been trying to process and think through this week is how often I do good things for the wrong reasons. It's not enough to do good things. The right things, if you do them for the wrong reasons, will ultimately make the world cynical towards Christ. Until our motivation is love, we will see people as objects to be used instead of as divine reflections to be served. And so I want to leave you with this question this week. Why do you do good? Take some time. Think about it. Pray about it. Invite the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, to reveal to you, do I have some bad motivations? Do I have some selfish motivations? Sometimes do I do the right things for the wrong reasons? And practice the spiritual discipline of confession. Find someone and say, man, I've been doing some of these things for the wrong reason. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this teaching. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. And thank you for this reminder that as kingdom people, sometimes we can do all the right things. We can say all the right things. And our hearts cannot be, can still be hearts that aren't aligned with you. We can have selfish, bitter, angry hearts. Sometimes we do the right things for all the wrong reasons. God, you don't want people who just like puppets go through the motions and you're like, good, you check the boxes. You want people who are becoming like you, people of peace and agents of love. God, forgive me for the times that I've come in and I've set up this service and I've thought, no one notices all the sacrifices I do. Forgive me, God, for so longing sometimes for human affirmation. I forget how much you love me and how much you smile upon my life. God, forgive me for the times that I've stood up here and I've been like, this teaching is really more about me seeming intelligent than it is about making Jesus seem good and loving and available to everyone. Forgive me for the times that I've done the good things God, help us this week. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to sense when our motivations are bad. Help us to correct those. Because people can sense when our motivations are off. And many times it derails the good that we want to do.